It's Thursday, March the 22nd, 2018. You're listening. Well, we'd like to welcome our viewers from across North America and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room, episode 89, coming to you from Oklahoma City and Austin, Texas. Jason Neifer continues to focus, we hope, we're told, on getting his dissertation written, which is a much better priority than a, a fun every once in a while podcast that we're doing. Um, but I am Wes Fryer, the Director of Technology at the Cassidy School, and I'm joined by Mr. Carl Hooker in Austin. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Carl, how are you doing tonight? I am happy to be here, especially after the week we just had in Austin. So uh, yeah, I'm Carl Hooker. I'm the Director of Innovation and Digital Learning at Eanes ISD right outside of Austin, Texas. And yes, Wes, we've had quite an eventful week uh, with the Austin bombing events happening down here. So happy to be here for sure. Absolutely. Well, we'll actually chat a little bit about that. And then uh, I'd love to get an update on the new mode that uh, iPad Palooza is taking for the next year. Yeah. You're the father of the feast with all the learning fest. But for people who uh, are probably listening offline, you can check out all the show notes and things that we don't have time to discuss on edtechsr.com slash links. We generally uh, will try and put the links in a relative order to what we end up discussing. Um, generally, we're going to talk about the week's tech news and take an educational focus on that. Um, but this year, this week, man, there's been all kinds of stuff with Facebook and everything else going on. Uh, but yeah. let's let's start with with the bombing. Uh, that is just crazy. I saw your tweet earlier where you like went outside and it was less than a mile away from from your house yeah. on like Tuesday or something. So I was uh, before we started the podcast, I was just telling Wes about this, too. But we I, I recently got some ring cameras, which are essentially floodlights and doorbell cameras that are smart. You can hook them up to your phones and give you alerts. I've had them for about two months. And until this past week, I haven't been motivated to install them. So I was actually installing it uh, two nights ago. And the last of what turned out to not be one of his explosions, it was another it was some other incendiary device went off about a mile from my house. Uh, and it turned out to be some random person that was turning in his grandfather's old army stuff at a Goodwill. Um, really bad timing for it, but it blew up. And I heard it and kind of reacted, went on Twitter right away, followed the hashtag Austin bombings and saw it right away. Sure enough, I heard the police, the helicopters, everyone came. I jumped on Facebook Live pretty quickly just to tell people, hey, we're good. I just heard a noise. It's down the street. Um, and that turned out to be the last night that everything kind of went down. Um, and I was also telling Wes before we started that I kind of stumbled across a Reddit thread. Just, you know, social media is so interesting when these things happen nowadays. But um, I, I stumbled across a Reddit thread where the a supposed person saying that he's the Austin bomber had given a lot of details to the things that he had done recently. Um, and then he deleted his account. And uh, so it was an, actually an archive. Uh, and I, I don't know if police or whoever's looking at it, but I tweeted it and put it on Facebook pretty quickly. It's, it's interesting how connected we are, but also, uh, you know, people always talk about the ills of social media, but in some ways, you know, it was really good for this because it kind of kept us all connected uh, to know what was happening. Absolutely. Gosh. Um, and I, you know, and then we've had headlines with Florida. We've talked on the show about student voice and the ways in which students have been so articulate to be able to advocate for change. And, and we've had some legislation pass. Uh, interestingly, not a tech headline. We've got teachers about to walk out here in Oklahoma on April. Really? 2nd. Yeah. All of our public school teachers. We're, uh, you know, basically 50th in the nation in teacher salaries, we can make about 20,000 more if we'll step on across the line in, into the Lone Star State. So, wow, I didn't know there was that it, disparate, that disparate uh, yeah, the difference in pay. It's it's brutal. Did you guys, um, did y'all have students walk out on the 14th? 
Well, we had a lot on spring break, break but uh, yeah. we did we did have some. So one of our daughters, who's a senior, it was on spring break, but the eighth grader was in class, and they did, and they had some some folks speak, and um, you know, it's I, it's really boy, what a fascinating time. And then with all this Facebook stuff that's happened with Cambridge Analytica and the Russia probe yeah. and everything, I mean, oh my gosh, uh, technology and social media has never been front and center uh, in the news as much as it is today. So. Yeah, what, what do you think about all that with with the? So I saw the first report of the Cambridge Analytica stuff. It was pre Facebook. It was about it was a few days ago. It was about just kind of the background of the company itself, which I knew and kind of heard about. Uh, and it makes sense, you know. You and I probably talk about this a lot about uh, with people like big data is going to be the thing that helps education, right? It's going to let us know what kids are thinking and help them learn. And wow, well, it turns out a company's been doing this for quite a while, uh, uh, only with elections uh, across the world. Uh, that was kind of interesting, and, and then Facebook's role in it, you know, it's gotten pretty deep. Absolutely. Well, we'll get into we'll get into more of that as far as links. But back on uh, March twenty second of twenty seventeen, in episode forty four, we were talking about it, and I was just telling our my wife and our girls at dinner uh, tonight that. You know, when we were talking about this, Jason and I were joking about needing to have tinfoil hats on and being the conspiracy (laughs) theorists, because what we were reading and people were saying was that the Brexit vote, as well as the U.S. presidential election, you know, may have been largely shifted and and thrown by all of this targeted marketing that happened. And so there's a I'm I'm just very thankful for things to have come forward, you know, for a, yes, for sure. for a whistleblower to have come forward. So but before we jump to those articles, got to got to yeah. ask you about the, the learning festival. So for people who don't yeah. know, you're the father of the feast of iPad Palooza. I, I definitely we've talked to our daughter about this. Carl has been this theater guy who's found his niche in technology. and He's <laughs> an amazing organizer. And now we have Tech Palooza. So for people who don't know, tell tell just a brief history of iPad Palooza and then where you guys are this year with the, the yeah. festival. So we started uh, in 2012, I believe. Uh, and it was the idea was I mean, we just gotten one to one iPads. We wanted to have a way of teachers to share kind of ideas and resources. And um, we said, well, we'll do a little event and we'll call it like an iConference, which just sounded extremely boring. So um, one of my staff, uh, Mariana Ricketson, actually came up with the title and she said, what about like a Palooza? What about like a iPad Palooza? And I said, oh, that's perfect. So we ran with that, made a website, set a date, had no idea what we were going to do. You know, sometimes you got to do that, too. You just go, we're going to take a chance and do this and see what happens. Um, we got Tony Vincent to come and keynote. I convinced him to come at a pretty cheap rate because we had no money. Uh, and then a lot of people from around the area, like, well, Hey, can we come? And I was like, sure, we'll do, you know, we'll do 50 bucks. We'll give you a free t-shirt and free barbecue. And, uh, it turned out like 450 people showed up and, um, most of it was our own staff. And then the next year was the year it really blew up. Cause I, I actually got a hold of Sir Ken Robinson's, um, people. Was that the year you came West? I'm trying to remember what year no, you came. No, maybe no, the year this after is that. a great story. We came the year after. Yeah. And so I was, uh, talking to his people and it was in November and I just started planning the next go around and they said, <laughs> They said to me, like, well, well, you know, we've never, you know, Ken's never heard of this. We never heard. I was like, oh, you haven't heard of it. It's a global <laughs> festival. It's a, you know, a, a thousand people and it's, you know, amazing and da, 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 da. And, and they, they said, okay. And I said, so can he, will he do it? And they came back and said, yeah, he'll do it at your, at his nonprofit price, which is still quite a bit. I won't say how much, but, uh, so sure enough, uh, he agreed. We advertised him and then, a thousand people showed up uh, because he was there. Um, so I wasn't lying. I was just predicting the future. That's right. um, and after that, it kind of blew up. We did. We had Sigat Demetra. We had Eric Whitaker, the guy who does the Global Choir stuff, which is amazing. Um, last year, we had uh, 
Jason, uh, oh, now his last name's escaping me, and I've seen him like a thousand times. He does all the National Geographic brain game shows. Um, and then, uh, you know, Felix has been there. You've been there. Uh, lots of good, and lots of good ed tech friends from around the, a lot of them doing favors for me, David Jakes and uh, George Kuros coming a couple times. Uh, and it's just been fun. It started out as a one day, turned into three days. And then what happened kind of, I noticed trending last year was the title, as fun as it was, was starting to become, uh, was starting to like have certain people feel like they weren't included because the word iPad was in the title, even though it wasn't about the device. So uh, we pulled it back uh, last year and this year we're actually just calling it uh, the Learning Festival. So, or LearnFest for short, which there is one in the UK that is not ours and it happens to do more around business. So there's gonna be some cross branding issues there, I imagine. Um, but for us, that was always the sub theme of this anyway. It was never a conference, it was a learning festival. So we'll still have some of the fun and games. This year, uh, just to just to tell your, your listeners, we're kind of doing it beta. We're going small again, we're going to about 400 people only. Um, and we're trying, we're not doing a huge keynotes or anything. It's mostly, it's very ground level. I'm trying two new things uh, that I've never seen ever done at an event ever, um, an educational event. Uh, one I've seen done at a music festival uh, that I got an idea for. So uh, I can't give you away that what that is because then everyone will steal it. But <laughs> if you come this year, there's a few, there's 200 seats open for the public. It's hundred bucks. We're doing it pretty cheap. Like I said, it's very beta, very granular. Uh, but then next year in 2019, we're gonna bring it back big. And um, we still have the, the spinoffs. In fact, the one in Australia is now Techpalooza. Um, and that's in October. Y'all should all come to that if you can. Yeah, Just in Australia. Absolutely. <laughs> it's an easy flight. Come on, 24 hours later. Um, and you end up like two days behind where you were or ahead of where you were. But yeah, that's, there's been still some fun spinoff events. And, you know, Felix, uh, and I still plan a lot of things together. And he had, of course, Miami Device back in the day, which then became Shift and EDU after he left. So we still talk a lot. Uh, we have, we have regular dinners on Friday nights with FaceTime family dinners. It's pretty you fun. You do? That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> You guys are it's, amazing. Uh, we still we still keep in touch that way. And then this year, this year, so you're talking about theater and events, and I know your daughter's in theater as well. We're doing a poetry slam. Last year we tried this at iPad Palooza, um, and at ISTE this year we're doing one. Uh, I got a bar that's willing to host us. It's about 150 people. We'll do it. Be fairly exclusive, but I've got 12 of the biggest ed tech speakers you've ever heard of. Get on, I've convinced to get on stage for three minutes and and poetry slam. Oh. Uh, so it's going to be different. <laughs> Um, but we're going to try it. So I just made the advertisement for it today and I'll, I'll put that out there and it'll, like I said, it's not, it's going to be fairly limited, but, uh, so if you're going to Chicago and ISTE, hit me up at Mr. Hooker and I can probably get you an invite. Awesome. Well, Peggy George is live in our chat room. Shout out to Peggy and she's dropped in hey, Peggy. the link. So, uh, the learningfestival.com is the website to check out and Twitter is the learn fest. So big, big shout outs there. And that is awesome. We have a family wedding that is happening right around that time. Uh, but we'll have uh -oh. to see. Cause is that a, win a Wednesday? Th 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 we're doing Wednesday, Thursday, the 13th, 14th. And then next year, I think we're going to keep it around that week. Uh, we moved it up one year last, last year. Um, and it was too early. A lot of schools couldn't come. We've done it later, but it gets closer to ISTE. And I know that a lot of people like to go to ISTE. One of these years, I might just be brazen and do it right when ISTE's happening just to see who will come. But <laughs> I don't want to get into that war yet. <laughs> hey, you know what? It's different strokes for different folks. And there's different yeah, vibes sure. and different conferences. And so there's a lot to be said, though, for the smaller, you know, place to, to network. And it's, it's interesting. Conference, yeah. I've been doing the iPad media camp for the last five summers. And this summer with my wife, I've decided to, to make it the making media camp. You know, some oh, nice. thing that there's so many different tools. I mean, my favorite tools for the iPad are explain everything and book creator yep. and both yep. of those 
now. We've been having teachers when, and students, you know, on their on Chromebooks because we're a mixed uh, mixed device yeah. environment. So um, yeah, I mean, the focus is on the learning, but of course, devices matter, and <clears throat> we'll talk talk Apple and the Apple event a little bit here. But oh, yeah. let's, yes. let's actually do an article, and then let's talk about uh, South by because you were there. So Ars yep. Technica, March 18th, 2018. This is an, an amazing article. It's VR headsets have become the new art house, the best of South by Southwest fantastic VR festival. And the author goes through five different VR experiences, uh, some of which amazing. are, you know, scientific, like Greenland and ice is melting, you know, kinds of things. And others are, you know, sci-fi um, mix, you know, storytelling, but then others are, Kind of a kind of a walking the line between what we know about black holes and the creation of of the universe and stars, but experiencing it. So, what was South by Southwest like? I got to go to EDU a couple years ago, and and I will say I felt a, more like bait or more like the yes. I, I felt different than I had at any other tech conference. So, were you at both EDU and the regular South by? And what was that like? I didn't go to regular this year. Uh, regular is about fifteen hundred dollars, uh, which is a little bit out of my budget. But uh, I've gone when I presented. You get a free badge. That's the great thing about South by. What I love, and I wish more conferences would do, is they always give their presenters free badges. So, um, I I've gone to EDU every year since its since its existence, and uh, it started out as a very much a small. Uh, educationally focused K-12 event. And like you say, now it's almost like you got to be careful. There's a lot of sharks in the water with us. Um, so there's a lot of venture capitalists, but there's also a lot of ed tech companies. I felt like it's it's almost, and I put this in my feedback with Ron Reed and the group, but that it's almost too much too much of that now. We've almost gone away from K-12. I feel like K-12 is about a quarter of the audience, um, if I had to judge from the from what I saw from just walking around. Yeah, VR was huge. Uh you know, I'm actually wearing a Capital Factory shirt, which is uh, right up the street of downtown there from where South by takes place. And they have a beautiful VR lab that uh, I've started taking teachers and students to. And they just uh, we're actually scoping out and building a VR lab in our middle school um, in the next. Probably we might get it done by the end of the school year, if not for next year, for sure. And it's just a little 10 by 10, 12 by 12 space that we're going to have kids actually design their own and, and code in Unity to build their own worlds. And these are middle schoolers, which is crazy because I can't code in Unity. And Unity um, is a is a VR authoring environment. Yeah, coding language that they basically use for a lot of the gaming software uses it. Um, and so we've been taking kids there quite a bit and teachers just to see their uh, feedback. In fact, one of the ones that we looked at was that uh, the Tilt Brush, which I think you mentioned uh, yeah. on Twitter. You feel, oh, which is just amazing. That right there is the reason I, we are going to get one at our house because my my 14 year old is just into art so much Maybe. and you see that it's i mean in the same way minecraft blows your mind thinking about lego brick building with unlimited lego bricks right it's just like yeah. what are you going to do thinking about unlimited painting in two and three dimensions with any medium i just my mind explodes i and i would the one thing they did that was really neat in this space was they actually had some background music um so we put our art teachers on the devices and uh, this one art teacher, first year teacher, but she's really good, really engaging, likes to try new things with technology. She put on the goggles and we had this music going and it was like a dance. It was really surreal. She was dancing and painting at the same, we could see what she was doing. She takes off the, gla the goggles and I look at her eyes and she's crying. And I said, what's the matter? And she's like, she was, I, she was moved to tears because she was so like, she's so into art that she just loved the experience of being kind of surrounded by it. And I thought that's just incredible. I wish I would like recorded that. Just her reaction to me was amazing. 
We, we um, had a, a festival at our school last year. <clears throat> we were a part of an independent school association in the Southwest, and there were over 3,000 students and teachers, and, and it was the 50th anniversary of this arts festival. And it's in April. Of course, we were all praying for no tornadoes, and we all survived. Yeah. But they did have a, a student do a VR demo, which I unfortunately didn't get to, to visit and see. And I was so glad for that to be there because – you know, this is the future. And I know that we have the cutting edge and I've seen the augmented reality stuff. And some of that really just seems like, okay, that's fancy candy, you know, bells and whistles, but not really transformative. But when you think about immersive storytelling and the creation of art and some of those things I've seen through with Tilt Brush, and I put that that link in, it's tiltbrush.com. I mean, go watch that video if you haven't seen just the overview. I mean, it really... It's more than, hey, this dragon is now, you know, virtually in three dimensions, breathing fire above my homework assignment Be- because of the authorship. I mean, that's the thing that's so exciting mm-hmm. to me is the the idea of, of of students and all of us being able to be creators in the media, not just the, the passive consumers. I mean, that can be cool, too. I'll, I'll put a link in here to the one that kind of drew me to it because you're uh, I know in that link you're talking about with the kind of the film experience. I don't know if you've heard or seen the film Clouds Over Sidra. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about a refugee camp. And it's amazing. I mean, it's crazy to me. That, I guess the author or the author, the director, you know, he set up these cameras in these different places and uh, where there's refugee camps. And he basically he filmed just at a you know 360 degree perspective, a little short film. And it's just a documentary. And you can watch this on a flat screen and see it and be, you know, that's kind of sad and tragic. But what he did is he went to the UN and he gave it to a lot of the world leaders and put their goggles on and they had to walk around and look and listen and hear and, and he almost you know can't smell but you can see the dirt on these kids like crowded in little classrooms and just kind of experience it from their point of view. It was powerful. A lot of them really changed their mindset of what was happening in terms of the refugee camps um, right there in the Middle East. So it was a powerful one. I'll, I'll link that in the notes. But I think I think movie making. I've been saying this for years and I've even blogged about it. Like in 2012, I said. I predict there'll be a time in our future where we all go to the movies. We'll still all go to an event together, but we'll all put on our goggles. And so we can hear each other, but we want to experience it too. And then you'll almost watch a movie. Uh, George Lucas would love this. He'll recreate Star Wars 15 different ways. But you can almost watch a movie from the character perspective or from the idea of now I'm gonna I'm Han Solo and I want to turn to my right and see what Chewie's saying to me. But then the next time I do the film, maybe I'll do it as Chewie and see what he's looking. You know, it's just going to be... You're gonna have to lots of cameras for that, but I mean, I, I can see a future where that'll happen. Wow. Um, well, yeah. we we tried. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was we, gonna say at South by there was definitely a lot of those little closets and lounges and booths. I say closets; they look like little rooms that they had already set up. So you would walk by one, and and you, it was funny because it was always the same kind of dance. You'd see people in there doing this weird thing with their hands, and you didn't know what they were doing, but uh, interacting with some space. And so it's kind of neat to see that kind of invading that event. I like that idea of that interactive kind of in, lounge. Peggy dropped a link in Best Buy has the Merge VR goggles on sale now for 20 bucks. They're, I guess they're originally 50. So that's, that's pretty cool. And, you know, we, we, we tried at school. We have a a big service learning emphasis and high school students have to get Mm -hmm. so many service learning hours. And we've tried with that 
um, clouds over Cedra, which is a phenomenal VR. But I mean, just technically from a, from a facilitating standpoint, you know, the downloads over a gig. And so you've got to have students get that downloaded on their device or have devices for them, you know? And so that's one of the things I'm considering. I don't know if this will happen, but if we could have the funding, I found there's several companies that will rent to you, uh, like a VR classroom goggle set. So you could have it for like two weeks or something. And so we can set it up where we did some, you know, field trips, with service learning or, or, you know, social studies or history or something. And then we also, you know, we're over in art and we did some stuff, um, you know, that was, was artistic, but I need to get into that myself, I think, and play in the sandbox and find some others who are doing it. But I just, I definitely, I, you know, this is just personal, but as far as my own children and seeing the artistic future of that, you know, it just, it, you really can glimpse, I think, um, transformative, you know, big scale change that is, is coming. And um, it's, it's, it's pretty mind blowing. So it's one of those things you got to get your head around, but. I think the good news for us is that, uh, you know, the cost, obviously you just mentioned the cost drawdown, which is a pretty big one that's out there now. I'll link it in there in the show notes, but it's, you know, the HTC comes up with this, this device. It's been for years. You had to have this big giant kind of bulky box that you had to run the thing on. And that's, and the VR labs that I've visited, that's what they have. Um, but now they're becoming more mobile. So they're wireless. Um, the controllers can really connect to a laptop. That's about all the, I mean, the laptops are so powerful now. So you really talk about a mobile set. You don't need to have the big space anymore. You can just have, you, know, you, you want to be safe and not be bumping into furniture and things. But, um, you know, you just have the headset with the handsets and then it kind of triangulates your position off of the laptop and you're able to kind of move around a room that way. It's pretty amazing to see how quickly it's come. Those are still pretty expensive. I think they're like $500 for the really good ones. Right. Um, but uh, just doing programming and that, one of the games I played and that we all played, it was it was called uh, Face Your Fears. And um, even though it's digital, your mind still believes it. And then I went to this one, I, I clicked on one of the fears that was called uh, Fear of Heights. And you, in, you're in this apartment about 90 stories up and you're looking out a window. It's just a movie. You're kind of, you can't really interact much. This robot comes out of the window, uh, this giant, you know, like almost like a Godzilla like robot grabs, smashes the window, grabs you and pulls you out of the window. You look down and you see 90 stories below you. And I, I had to sit down. I was getting some, I'm not even fair to heights. And it was, this is cartoonish still. So imagine in five years when it's real. I mean, your brain still can't, you know, it's, it's interesting that my brain couldn't distinguish reality. It just felt so real. Well, we're, you know, Google home mini users now with the Google assistant. Yeah. And so the, the thing we've discovered is, you know, thunderstorm sounds, which there's all kinds of ways to make these relaxing sounds and whatnot. But, you know, your brain, you know, your eyes are closed. You don't know if it's real or not. It might as well be, you know, you have a thunderstorm all night. And anyway, yes. that's, that's a very small level of that. But Whew, there's a lot, yeah. a lot there. So, okay, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about the Apple event and then maybe we'll talk some face, well, we will talk Facebook and, and Cambridge sure. Analytics and stuff. So Apple has an event coming up, uh, this two, next Tuesday on the 27th. Two articles we dropped in, uh, Ars Technica on March 16th says students and teachers are the focus of Apple's surprise March 27th event. And it talks about that it's going to be in a Chicago school. And then the Washington Post just a couple days ago on March 20th, has the article Apple is fighting to regain its position in America's classrooms. Now that one has statistics, especially about Google, about Chromebooks, uh, about Microsoft, and you know certainly Apple's market share dominated by the iPhone and its consumer, uh, you know, focus. But um, 
we don't want anybody in the podcast to disclose anything that they, they cannot disclose. But I'll say as a tech director that I was thrilled for the price educationally for the iPad to come down when it bumped to generation five with 32 gig, right? Yeah. That's the first time I'd ever seen that happen. We are a mixed environment with, with Chromebooks, with, you know, MacBook Airs, basically for all of our faculty. We got a few Windows users out there, but you know, we're very invested and we've got uh, about 120 iPads now under management in shared situations. Um, we're not one-to-one, but anyway, I was very excited by that. And so I'm hopeful, you know, that their tools of management are going to continue to evolve. But I'll say, I don't predict that Apple is going to fundamentally change focus in terms of, or the way that they handle it with mobile device management. Some people are surprised right. that, yes, you have got to pay a separate company for mobile device yeah. management. And it's absolutely worth, you know, in in what I've seen, every penny, you know, because it would just be crazy not to not to utilize mm-hmm. that. So I guess I would I'm expecting them to, you know, possibly have have uh, maybe some some less expensive iPads and some new. I don't know that they, they're probably they haven't done an event since 2012 with iBooks, I guess. And so perhaps there's going to be some other kinds of things with content in Apple Classroom. Um, but of course, one of the challenging things that happens is you Being know across the cross platform. <laughs> The cross-platform stuff. Yeah. Um, and so we've got uh, Putnam City Schools here. We have a tech director breakfast that happens every month. I mean, the number of iPads, I think you're, and you're probably in this boat, like they've got 18,000 or just some crazy, you know, number of devices. Uh, And so they're heavily invested in that platform. And so putting content into iBooks or using iBooks author, you know, it looks different in that kind of a situation than a more mixed environment. So. Carl, any sure. thoughts on Apple and what we're, uh, you know, what we're seeing happening in the, in the marketplace and really where you guys are too as, as a district with your iPads? Cause you're in the fifth, fifth year, sixth year of one to one. How far down are fifth you? Guys? Year, yeah. We did. So we started one to one in 2011. So I guess we're in getting into the end of our seventh year, maybe no end of our sixth full year. And we went to, we did a refresh about two years ago. And it was, uh, and we, we put them all out there. We put Chromebooks out there. Cause at the time when we started our one-to-one, there were no Chromebooks. You know, there was, you had like a, a, some sort of weird Dell flat screen tablet thing that doesn't exist anymore. And that was about it for, for tablets. Um, and so we went iPad one-to-one. It was iPad twos, 16 gig. Ooh, those things were dinosaurs, but they had a camera. So it was kind of neat. And we could do some stuff with them, which was great. And then they quickly died out. Um, and so when we did the refresh, the big thing for our, a lot of our students, secondary students was getting a keyboard case. So yeah, you're right. When Apple dropped the price, um, that was huge for us because we were able to afford a pretty nice keyboard for all of our secondary students. Um, still looking for like the ideal case. Cause even the one we got, I like it, but it's got some failures with hinges and things. Anyway, I won't get into that, but, um, at some point I'm still waiting for like that, the holy grail of iPad case, but I haven't found it yet. Um, so we're, so we're doing now iPad Air 2, 64 gig, a lot more memory, um, all the way through K to 12, 8,000 of those. And then we have, I think we have 14,000 devices total in our district. Uh, when you consider laptops, we went uh, one-to-one MacBook Airs for all of our staff this last year. We have Apple TVs in every classroom. So it's really amazing to see when you actually go all Apple, the ecosystem and how much of a difference it makes for like, even our teachers. I remember like within a month, I knew it was a big success when a teacher called me and said, I can't uh, project my MacBook. And I said, what's the matter? She's like, AirPlay doesn't seem to work right now. And I was like, well, you know, like less than a month ago, you were plugging into a wall to do that. She's like, can I, st-? I was like, yes, you can still do that. But they'd already forgotten. They love the wireless environment. So teachers have already moved their desks out of the front. They're in the center of the room. They're all around. Kids are projecting things on the screen. Um, 
I say having all of that, it, I'm wishing we would have done that a lot earlier, uh, but it's definitely helped. It's been a lot more, more transformative. Couple of questions on that that'll be technical, yeah. but do you, are they doing, uh, over Wi-Fi or are Bluetooth connections to Apple TVs? So we have our Apple TVs all wired, hardwired, um, it, with Ethernet. Um, and they are on Wi-Fi, but it's all the Bluetooth. It's the newer gens, the fourth gens, uh, Apple TVs. So Bluetooth does the handshake and it's been really stable. Having the network connection hardwired helps. Um, we got that from a district in Deer Park outside of Houston that told us that trick. And like if you have the Bluetooth connection to do kind of the, con- the connect part at the beginning, and then you go just uh, wi- hardwired into the network, you're going to be a lot more successful. And we have been with that. And it's geo-based, so you can only see like the three in your area, you know, because it's like Bluetooth, so you can only get 30 or 50 feet on that, um, which is nice. You don't have some random kid projecting across at a different... Right. <laughs> Not that we've ever had this happen, but maybe a middle school kid may have once airplayed something in the elementary classroom. Yes. Um, uh, so, it's yeah, that part's been really slick. Uh, and it's And it's been very stable. The latest update messed us up a little bit the latest apple tv update so now we have to throw that into the mix now we get the lovely uh, tv os update tied with ios and mac oh, os but absolutely it yeah. happens on all platforms so sure it does it does and well, we're a google district too so it's uh, we've been google since this, we got the ipad to be honest so we're both we're kind of in both worlds um so for the apple event you know, I, uh, they've been really pushing lately. If you look at kind of look in the last year and a half where they've been going with education, they've started, they've had some changes up at the top, um, with some leadership roles there. And, uh, and I think, uh, Catherine Hughes is out of your area. She's mm-hmm. actually, uh, in yes. Oklahoma. Yeah. She, she was, she was with Apple and came to Oklahoma City Public Schools, did a few things back to Apple. So, and she's a, she's a top dog now, I think one of the uh, upper. She's the head of, yeah, K-12 or K-20, I think is what they call it, something like right. that across the country. So she's a part of that, that, uh, that group. And she's, she's really, uh, I, I, she came down and talked to us and spoke at our campus, really down to earth and really like wants to figure out how can Apple get reinvested. So yeah, thank you Google for dropping the prices, but also thank you Google for getting Apple back into the mix. Because you, I mean, you and I probably remember this one. They used to be at every conference, lots of teacher door prizes, things like that, just giving things away to teachers and being a real big part of it. And then in like 2001, they kind of just disappeared. Um, so it's nice to have them kind of back in the mix. They've been at ISTE the last few years doing their little playgrounds, which is good. So I think for this event, um, from what I've heard, and I'll have friends that are there in Chicago that are actually going to be there in person. So I'm excited about that. But uh I think it's going to be less hardware, honestly. I think it's going to be a lot more software. So, yeah. well, iTunes it, U. I saw, we'll go into details, but I, you know, maybe there, there's some tech companies. We know this as tech directors that approach us and ask us things. Seesaw yeah. <laughs> has been a big part of what uh, has been happening in our elementary in terms of lots of buy-in and utilization of the iPad and just a lot of parent communication. And so I think that it's, uh, it's a common denominator. You need to have that platform. So hopefully, you know, and, and, you know, Google Classroom has its purpose. It's still schooly. So it'll be interesting to see how Apple enters into the mix of having a, a place like a learning journal where you can stash stuff, where you can pull that up at a conference. Um, and then the degree to which it is learning management system, LMS, Feely, yeah. or whether it is more on the digital portfolio, you know, learning journal side. And so um, we've done, we've used Seesaw the last two summers with iPad Media Camp. And I should go back and get the statistics. We were, 
I know this sounds really difficult, but Shelly and I were in Jackson Hole, Wyoming at uh, the amazing Jackson High School um, for an iPad media camp. And the number of artifacts which 40 teachers created in the space of three days was just astronomical, right? And so facilitating that ease of I turn this into you, you share it back to me, we can have, you know, conversations back and forth. That is a key need that we have in the classroom, whether it is, you know, seesaw or something else. So I've, it'll, it'll be, I get the alert for my daughter's third grade teacher on my watch now that like, Oh, your daughter submitted work to seesaw. So really? I, I know. Yeah. It's pretty cool to see it on that, on that end. That's cool. Um, I my wife sitting across from me and she just told me that my daughter's report card just came in straight A's is what she just sent a note to me. So that's good. Yeah. So I, I haven't made um, the smartwatch jump yet, but I'm still still considering. So not not yet. Well, so telling you about the ring camera to go uber uber geeky here for a second. The ring cam that we just installed now, it actually alerts my watch. So whenever uh, my wife leaves or our neighbors leave, I'm like my watch is thumping left and right. So if you if you're one that doesn't like the digital distractions or what I call notif distractions, uh, a combination of notifications and distractions, you don't want one because it'll distract you a lot. I, I turn most of mine off to be honest, um, just because I like to focus and kind of have some mindfulness. So yeah, yeah. So the Apple thing, back to that again, just, I think, I think software is going to be the big thing. I, I wish they would come out with maybe a 250-ish iPad or maybe even a, a MacBook, a MacBook that's an 11 inch, you know, kind of bring those back. They're doing a lot of rebranding with their name. And if you look at their company right now, you know, iTunes is actually disappearing. It's called Apple Music, right? Um, and then they're getting written and, and the Apple watch is not an iWatch. It's an Apple watch. So you'll, you'll notice some slight rebranding. My guess is they're going to do a little bit of that too. So iBooks may just become, you know, books by Apple and then iTunes, you could iTunes itself, since it's going away, it could be something different. Apple university. I don't know that part of it, but my guess is it's going to be along that end. And I know that they're doing a lot of investigative work on, uh, iTunes, you in terms of like, how can that be a better game changer? Cause we use Google classroom. Uh, five to 12 and we use um, Shobi and Seesaw a little bit K to four, but uh, Google Classrooms, you're, like you said, yeah, it's schooly uh, to choose your phrase, but, but, but guess uh, what? But We're in school. It works. <laughs> That's right. And it works. It yeah. Does. And the kids, the kids actually like it because it's very simple and easy and they get their notifications and they're happy and they go on, you know, with their life. But so I think that's what we'll see uh, my predicting in what I guess four or five days from now. One related article I'll drop in. This was from Ed Week Market Brief on February 26th. Pearson set to sell K-12 curriculum business, but not assessment. And so that's kind of interesting and a sign of the times that where's the money? You know, it's in the assessment that we're going to continue to mandate for states. <clears throat> but certainly when it comes to iPad one-to-one and thinking about Apple and things that have happened, you know, relationships with Pearson and, and curriculum are um, are pretty uh you know, an important part of that, that whole landscape. And so do you guys sh- publish and share like what you, what you're buying in terms of curriculum? Cause I think that's a key tech director and curriculum director question. Like there's so oh. much free, there's so much available, but what is worth paying? Cause right. Everybody wants to just, it's only $2 a user, you know, it's only this, but you add all that's, that up. That's the ship. I, I honestly, I mean, it's all available. It's all public record. But there, I don't know of any district that actually says here's every every dollar we spend. However, like in our state, we have something called the Instructional Materials Allotment, which does a monthly report that says what every single district is has in that fund, and it's an allotment that we all get, and it's supposed to go toward instructional materials. They just added the word technology instructional materials to it because what happened in our state was ninety three percent of the money went toward t- traditional textbooks, um, and seven percent went toward technology. So this big fund that was supposed to fund everything ended up funding just textbooks. And even in our own district where we're fighting for a lot of OER, 
Um, and OER still, even though it's free, it comes with some cost, right? You have to kind of manage it a little bit. But uh, we, we spend an inordinate amount of money on textbooks that are hard and clunky. They're, I mean, they're known, they're by the known publishers, including one you just mentioned. And, and generally they, they tend to not work well, what, even on Chromebooks or iPads. And sometimes there's something, the Java doesn't work on a Chromebook or the flash part that they want to do doesn't work on an iPad. So I, yeah, I think there's a, there's a big push that's about to happen and we're getting it in our district too, where it's no longer the tech department fighting with curriculum. I think it's more like the curriculum is now starting to fight with the technology because it's just, it's so clunky and far behind. You know, we're giving them all the devices and we get them access to it. But if they can't, if the curriculum doesn't work, I spend hours, I don't know if you do this too, but at the beginning of the year and the middle of the year and the end of the year, just assessing like, what are we using? How often are we using it? Um, I mean, I started working with a startup company called Catch On about two years ago just to get analytics that was just easy to find. So I could like see it on my phone, like, my God, we have all this money that we're spending. What are we using? You said $2 a kid. That's great. Are we using it? And if we exactly, aren't, right. should we train on it or should we dump it? You know, right. um, too many districts just keep saying, well, we'll re-up because you know, so-and-so down the, down the hallway uses this, this app. So we better keep using it. Right. But that's, that's really not good. That's not a good you know, steward of money, especially in Oklahoma where you guys are really getting shortchanged a lot of ways. You got to figure out how to use that money. Well, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Well, one other article, which is Apple related, uh, nine to five Google on March 20th, 2018. Alphabet bumped to third as Amazon becomes second most valuable company in the world. So Apple continues to, to hold the number one, one spot, but Alphabet, the parent company of Google has, has gone to number, number three. So I've, you know, we've been talking a lot about artificial intelligence and smart assistants and things like that. I don't know if you know this, but I actually switched to an Android phone in November before I went to Egypt, uh, which is kind of a, oh, wow. a test. I mean, now it's a hundred. Text me green text instead of blue text. Now I know. I know. <laughs> and school. Hey, practically, I missed some texts from some of our folks that were texting me with iMessage. And, you know, that, that wasn't a good thing. So it's wow. been a little bit rocky. It was like a, it's a $140 uh, Moto E4 phone. And, and anyway, it was an experiment, but I'm, you know, it, I said, I, my, my daughter's panicked, right? They said, the world is ending, you know, what are you going to do? I said, you're going to get my old phone. It's okay. But Oh, they're fine then. <laughs> yeah, for now. But they're like, Dad, are you going to, you know, come back? But anyway, it's well, Am- very, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say Amazon's pretty in the news, right? And news here in Austin. And I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys are one of the cities, but you know, there's been this big push about their HQ2, right? Where are they, where's it going to end up? Right. And for a long time, Austin was odds on favorite. Um, so there were some theories that the Austin bomber was actually someone that was against it, trying to scare off Amazon and all this oh, other stuff. Oh, wow. But I don't think that's come out. Um, have any I don't know that uh, even it. motives come out for that, by the way, that people? Oh. The only one I, I ever, I haven't seen any motives except for the one I read on Reddit, which was, you know, where he was saying he just wanted to watch the world burn, mm. which 23 year old kid and even all of his neighbors have come out and said, like, well, he's, you know, normal kid, quiet, you know, he's here, you know, it's the same thing. He's a quiet kid. He seemed nice and we never expected and da, 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 da. And they've got his roommates detained right now. They've actually, they've had him for about over a day. So who knows what's going on there, but. Wow. Well, I imagine we'll get it. It'll all kind of come forward uh, here pretty soon. Anyway, yeah. back to the Amazon thing. So they're, you know, we're, we're an Alexa family. I know you're Google and uh, it's been an interesting experiment, I would say educationally, because, you know, my daughters are, um, I guess they're five, six and nine. And a couple of them uh, with speech has been a little bit of a struggle, admittedly. And so to have Alexa in the house, it's been pretty powerful. In fact, my wife and I went on a trip uh, not too long ago. And um, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, it captures everything, right? 
everything everything you say Alexa it actually records. Well, and we actually should say the Miss A, you know, for for yeah. uh, fairness of those who may be may be playing this aloud. So that's but anyway. But yeah, that it oh, yeah. happens. So oh, sometimes sorry. there's gonna be an automatic podcast filter, you know, because we don't unless something <laughs> weird happens, we don't edit that out of the show. Um, but at yeah. some point, that's going to be a uh, West predicts that'll be an AI feature of podcast processing because it will automatically detect if you've said the magic words and then it will, you know, insert. Oh, a, oh that would be, so in a podcast, I could say, yeah, right. Alexa, play. Yeah. <laughs> no, see, so I just did that. Now someone's going to hear their Alexa okay. about the Madame no, Madame A. We had the, uh, articles a couple of weeks ago or last week about, um, Madame A, uh, laughing unexpectedly. And so they changed, uh, I guess the oh, algorithm. Wow. Did that happen? Yeah. We got some weird laughter. She just starts cackling and we were like, what is she? And then she'll, we asked to put something on the grocery list and she went into this whole uh, thing about a news story. And I was like, where are you reading? You're not even listening to us anymore. You know, it's, but it's been interesting because she does, uh, I will say that with my daughters, like I said, to go back and listen to those recordings, it's funny to hear them try to say, get her to play Taylor Swift, uh, look what you made me do, which has seemed to be the song they wanted to hear a thousand times. And uh, so when we were on this trip, you know, my, my mother-in-law was watching them and I go, let's just pull up Alexa and see what's going on. And sure enough, there it is. Like every, and then you could hit play and hear their voice as they try to enunciate it. Cause they're having, they're struggling with it. You know, it was a WEC, it was a WEX, not a LEC, you know, they didn't say the actual word. And so getting her to recognize it, it's kind of neat to see it helping with speech in some ways. Well, and I, I think I'm going to try for this. We've, we uh, sold back some laptops and have a, a, some funds that we hopefully can use for this. It won't be too expensive, but I want to offer up a chance. And again, this is not official. So if anybody's listening, this is going to have to <laughs> From, get this. Wes said it. It's going to happen. <laughs> but, you know, just like uh, buy 10 Google Assistants. And yep. minis and then ask teachers, well, how, how might you use this? Because it is really a concrete way to see the progress of artificial intelligence, the march of artificial intelligence and, and the Harry Potter like world we live in where, you know, if you have to say the, the algorithm correctly mm-hmm. in the right order in order to get that stuff to happen. And so I think it will be more of kind of a fun sort of thing, but you know, with iPads, my wife is each in third grade and, and her kids love to get help with spelling words and, you know, yeah. use different kinds of voice to speech. And that, that's something that not everybody realizes, but we're, that's part of this transition, right? As we've gone from the mouse, the graphical user interface to this touch environment. And now increasingly we're able to use our, our voice and, and uh, you know, Get get our house to do things, and eventually things. Star like Trek Four. Remember when they went back to San Francisco, and Scotty pulls up the mouse and is like, "Oh, I got to actually type on this computer because he's talking." <laughs> Hello, computer. Make this. And you're like, yeah, that'll never happen. Well, now it's happening. I mean, that was 1986, so it's kind of crazy how Hollywood predicts it. You no, know, with my own kids, with the the, t- the speech to text part of it has been pretty powerful with iPads, and I showed it to some parents today because they didn't even know that was in there. And you know, she's my daughter was struggling with some writing, and she has these great stories in her head, but to actually put pencil to paper and write it down was a struggle. So I had her voice to text into the, into the, into like pages or something, and then kind of expand that text a little bit so she could see it and then copy it down. And she didn't do it a lot, just a few times, but it was just enough to get her kind of over that hump of like, okay, let me get the story out of my head and then I can transcribe it onto paper. And now she's doing fine. But it, it was nice to have those assistants in there. And we didn't have that when, when you and I were kids. Oh gosh, uh, no. We wanted a bit fancy technology. It was like a 3D 3D glasses looking at a comic book. That was like the most amazing technology we could look at. Um, Gosh, or I Mr. Remember, Rogers. I remember <laughs> Merlin. Did you have that little red little uh, battery operated thing? Or Little Professor. These were the, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, the one that was like a speak and spell. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yes. Definitely. Yep. 
Simon. Okay, let's. We got to talk Facebook and, and Cambridge Analytica. Oh, yeah. There's a slew of articles in here. I'm going to just share a couple headlines. Um, Oh my gosh. Uh, so Mark Zuckerberg finally came out and, and, uh, posted on Facebook, uh, yesterday on March 21st, um, about the Cambridge Analytica breach. Um, what has happened? A whistleblower from a company called Cambridge Analytica, <clears throat> which worked to both support the Trump campaign and the Brexit, uh, campaign in Europe has been accused of Basically taking the data out of Facebook in legitimate ways, but then using it in illegitimate ways. So it wasn't a breach, but an academic had written these quizzes for Facebook. Hey, what, what, you know, uh, I don't know that this was the quiz, but you know, what, what house would you be in if you were in Harry Potter or personality inventories and things like that? And what happened was when you took that quiz, you agreed to terms that not only gave them access to all of your Facebook data, but your friends data as well. And so they were able to accumulate tons of data on maybe 50 million or so, uh, folks just in the United States and other places. So EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation published on March 19th, how to change your Facebook settings to opt out of platform API sh- uh, sharing. Facebook did, you know, turn things down in terms of that kind of, of access to friends of friends data uh, and they made it harder for developers. But anyway, there is a ton of information and we've been talking about this for years that, you know, we are the product of Facebook, right? I mean, our data is what is being sold. And so uh, Wired has a very good article called A Hurricane Flattens Facebook on March 20th. The Guardian's video, which is actually the interview with the whistleblower, I'd really commend that. That's from March 17th. Cambridge Analytical whistleblower, we spent $1 million harvesting millions of Facebook profiles. And the interesting thing is we've had Cambridge Analytica representatives testify in Europe, in the UK, saying, no, we didn't. We've had Steve Bannon, who was like the director of Cambridge Analytica, you know, Mm -hmm. know, announcing, no, we, you know, we didn't have this data. And so we're going to see some testimony pretty soon, most likely, I think, from uh, probably Zuckerberg, you know, not only in the United States before Congress, but, you know, in Europe, um, news company shift has an article and it's uh, more just for uh, who wrote it than, than the source. Um, but it's from John Battelle. And he says, we allowed this to happen. We're sorry. We need your help. He was basically forecasting what he thought Zuckerberg should say when he finally spoke. Cause Zuckerberg hadn't said anything for about five days. Right. He'd spoken out about this. And then I really like this CNET article from yesterday, March 21st. Facebook isn't a community, it's a weapon. And I'm going to read just a couple lines and then see what you're, what you're thinking, Carl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he said, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't understand Facebook. He doesn't understand what it's become. He refers to it constantly as a community, which is terrifying. <laughs> 2.2 billion people use Facebook. That's 31% of the global population. Facebook is not a community. It's a world-changing paradigm with the potential to profligate. There's a great scrabble word for you. The agendas of the rich and powerful. It's a platform where users are profiled and then targeted in election campaigns. It's a place where fake news is shared and digested without penalty. It's a place where one presidential candidate can be charged less for ads because they're controversial and generate more clicks on the site. So were you aware of Cambridge Analytica, Carl, before the last week? And what are your thoughts about all of this? Well, I, first of all, I'm uh, Gryffindor is my house, just to answer that question. Oh, of that quiz. And, and, we're, yeah, we're a Gryffindor fan. <laughs> and Hufflepuff for my daughters, but yeah. Yeah, so we're guilty of taking those same quizzes that we did on Facebook, too. So I, I'm sure I've given them lots of my data. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'd heard of Cambridge Analytica, and it may have been from the Bannon stuff uh, way back when, because I know that he'd worked with them 
and I kind of follow a little bit of the politics. I try not to get too too crazily involved with it. Um, and then it was before the Facebook stuff had come out. I it was right before spring break. I think it was early March that an investigative reporter had done had, had kind of disguised himself um, as a person from Sri Lanka who was going to go in and hire Cambridge Analytica to say, "How would you help you know my candidate win their campaign?" To which they basically went into detail about, and it was a series of meetings, really great video. It's only about eight or nine minutes. I don't know if you have it in the links. I'll see if I can find it, but it's, it doesn't get into the Facebook stuff as much, like I say, but essentially it's, we're going to use social media. We're going to program, you know, bots, uh, which we all know are out there now. We've all kind of seen them. I don't know how many people still realize that, but they're still, you, I mean, they're everywhere. When it, the boss, the Austin bombing stuff happened, there were bots popping in left and right on that, just taking advantage of it. Um, and they use a combination of bots, but also real people to flood social media, Facebook and, and Twitter, um, to try to curb things, uh, with these elections. And in some cases they were even like talking about getting a politician to say something and then taking that soundbite and then spinning it into an article and then having all the little news bots kind of re retweet it or respin it. So someone makes something up and then other people kind of vet it by saying, yeah, it really happened when it didn't really. So I heard that and that kind of jarred me. Um, I kind of knew that was happening, but again, and then the tide of Facebook has just been mind blowing. And also I think Mark Zuckerberg said as his resolution for 2018, wasn't it something like we're going to clean this up? Like he even knew. Right. No, they, they, they said there was testimony before Congress in like November, December it wasn't Zuckerberg and it wasn't the, you know, heads of Google, heads of Twitter. They sent their, their lawyers basically and some of their PR people to Congress. But yes, Zuckerberg announced changes to the news feed, which was going to supposedly uh, emphasize things that your friends and your family shared versus news that organizations shared. I mean, part of the big issue here, right, is bad actors. How does anyone identify a bad actor and flag them? And, and also, this goes to the core of what Facebook is and what they're doing. So is there a way forward for them to stop a quote bad actor who wants to manipulate an election or, you know, throw, throw something else, uh, you know, shift, uh, perceptions about, about something, you know, how, how can that happen, you know, with the platform as it is now? Have you done any ads like for any of your events and stuff on Facebook, Carl, to, to basically get the I've marketing never, I've side never done the boost. I've never done the boosted ads. I've done pages and, and set those up. And I saw Q, uh, which is in California this last week. Had a whole lot of, uh, had a bunch of Facebook Live, which I thought was really, you know, innovative in terms of they had, I would see it come up on my feed. They'd be doing interviews with people in a little booth. And I was like, what a great way to just use that part of it for educational purposes. But yeah, I don't use, I've never used the boost ad feature. That said, I, I did a yeah. little of that a couple of years ago. I was, when I was, you know, doing iPad things. Well, it was crazy. I mean, the way in which you could say, hey, I, you know, I want to target, um, you know, people who like education in Apple within a certain mile radius of, of, you know, Oklahoma City and just, you know, getting very granular about, and then it would show you how many people met that criteria. And then you could, buy the ads, you know, in order to show them to, to that group. I, in fact, it would be a, an absolutely fascinating yeah. and, and probably important thing for, I don't know if you do this in economics class, certainly if there's any kind of marketing class where somebody's talking about that, but it is, it's actually digital citizenship too, because yes, when is. you get into that and you don't have to buy an ad to see this, right? You can just go in and talk about, I'd like, I think I want to place an ad. And these tools are available to everybody. That's why this wasn't a quote hack. They were, you know, Russia as well as Cambridge and whoever else was paying them, you know, were using Facebook as it has been created to be used. There was a violation apparently of the terms of use of the data when that, when that data was collected. But that's why this really goes to the heart of 
this model that Facebook has has ridden up to this point. And I think the question of whether regulation will happen and whether basically whether people are going to get upset enough to force regulation. And I know Silicon Valley is really scared of that. But I think I'm siding today with those that say Facebook, they can't regulate themselves. But there's also no. Google that falls into this and a whole lot of other companies, right, yeah. that rely on ad revenue. And whenever we say regulation, you know, we know that government and bureaucracy is going to be multiple steps behind where technology is. And so there's a lot of risk in, you know, throwing it, whether we're talking about net neutrality or anything else, talking yeah. about regulation. Charging for the internet. Yeah. Are we going to break stuff? I mean, or are, you know, are you going to break the internet? Are you going to really chill innovation? You know, what are you going to do when you try to help? So. Is it that whole uh, too big to fail, you know, from the banks from back in the day, right? Is that the case with Facebook now? I mean, I, that quote you read was pretty powerful because the fact you're right, the fact that he thinks it's a community is kind of funny, you know, laughable when you think about the billion, 2.2 billion people that are in it. Well, see, he uh, took that tour yeah. all over the country. Oklahoma was, I think, the last state, and he saw some uh, wind farms that we have. And, like, he sat down and had dinner with people, and they had their cameras. And part of what he was amazed is how many, like, civic groups people were in. Like, they went to church, and they were in clubs. Mm-hmm. And, like, he came out of the, the clouds of Silicon Valley into the into America. And, I mean, I had heard at one point people thinking he was going to make a run for president and, and all of this. And, you know, it's really – it, we're going to see some pivotal things, I, I think, happen with Facebook in the next couple weeks because the way they handle or mishandle this is is going to it, it could have big ripple effects. I mean, certainly, I mean, remember MySpace? You know, do you still have an account on MySpace? <laughs> yeah, I still get an email from an old email from that like yeah, top <laughs> yeah. band. But, you know, we can all abandon if we would want to, and that can happen. I, and I think I was, was going to ask you, are you seeing that? Because I'm seeing on Twitter, I've started to notice it. There's actually celebrities and some, some um, I guess I would say, you know, political pundits or journalists, but also friends of mine that are now saying, okay, we're abandoning Facebook. And they're going to Twitter, um, which may be just be changing one for the other. All the Twitter is a little bit different, obviously, the way it works. It's not quite the same platform, but. Uh, and then I, and then the post you shared about how to kind of change some of your API and what's connecting. I was surprised even with Twitter. Uh, I went into it last week. Someone was, uh, someone griped about my little tweet map thing that comes out and I forget how I signed up for that. And they're like, you know, you can turn that off. And I was like, oh yeah. So I guess it's kind of annoying. I'll turn it off. I don't really care. I'll go turn it off. There was like <laughs> over 120 different things that were accessing my Twitter account. And it was, it, I was like, wow, I haven't looked at this in ever, you know, I don't think ever. Well, and that is an important, there, there's important security, you know, digital citizenship conversations, yeah, because sure. if we're using another platform to authorize access, we are trusting. In fact, there was a Twitter app on Apple TV and I didn't install it because of there were not any reviews. And if I would log into Twitter and grant that developer access to my account, you know, there, there's a whole trust and permissions issue there. Yeah. So people have, uh, we're doing, you know, two-step verification for all of our faculty and staff now at school with Google. That took a year of, you know, encouragement we're in the middle and of training. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And so that, and, and that may or may not be viable in all circumstances, depending on how well cell signals and your buildings and things and where you're at. I was visiting with, um, you know, Jen last week on the show and there, you know, it, it just depends on your, on your circumstance, but the idea yeah. of two-step, you know, is important, but what have you granted access to your credentials? And those of us that are early adopters and whatever with these tools, you know, it may be a long list of, Oh yeah, I forgot about yeah, clean up. Exactly. Gonna be serv- that's the next big thing, right? There'll be the service that comes out that says we're going to scrub your, they already have scrubbers out there that do it for kids that are going to college, like 
digital scrubbers that'll clean out the profiles and say like, here's your SEO, here's your digital brand marketing. Um, what was it used to be? Not Q score, but there used to be uh, a little rating that we would get based on the amount of followers. I can't remember what it was now. Some oh, metric yeah. that people used to share. It was, right. it was like not about me, but one of those things. And I can see that happening with us too, where we'll go back and say, oh, we have to clean up our profiles because we left a trail of, I mean, people, people are physically dying dead and they still are alive technically because their accounts continue to live on for well, zombies now. To tie it back to bots and that whole thing, you know, I remember yeah. cluster maps, which I don't really use yeah, that yeah. much or whatever. But back in the day, you know, bots, and, and this is even like with the K12 online conference, you know, we would, we would look at that as metrics. Oh, look at that. Look how many visitors. Amazing, yeah. But the number of bots that were driving that, you know, and it's almost like yeah. some of my self esteem of, Oh, look at the impact we're doing. But really, how many, I mean, when we, it is, it has been great, it's been phenomenal, but we couldn't look at that map of dots and say those were all human beings because there's a large number of bots. And that's true of Twitter as well, right? They've been trying to cull through the accounts and, yeah. you know, deleting and, and stuff like that. And there's all kinds of good digital citizenship stuff to talk about because, you know, part of this is accountability and anonymous accounts. And are you going to allow those? And on the one hand, you might think, oh, that sounds great. Let's make everybody put their, you know, their DNA sample, like do your blood sample into yeah. your computer or whatever. You wouldn't do that, but, you know, right, yeah, driver's right, license yeah. social. But then, you know, if you're in Bahrain or you're in Qatar or you're in Iran or North Korea, maybe not North Korea because they may not be online, but if you're in a yeah. country with the you know, being able to anonymously utilize the web, being able to, you know, use mm -hmm. social networks, all of that is really important, especially in extreme authoritarian, you know, dictatorial type environments, even, sure. you know, even Egypt, dare I say that, because, you know, the words we say can be transcribed. And, and, uh, sure. and you'll see it, you'll see yourself in about two years with that statement, right? He'll come out and yeah. oh, look at what Wes said two years ago. I think it's interesting, you know, just kind of wrap up on that point. There was a, we haven't talked about drones much, but I know that here we just, I just did a civics lesson. Actually, a friend of mine, Rich Lombardo did this in one of the classes. He invited me down to a, a middle school class and we went down and looked at it and he flew his little, um, his little, his little bug drones. It's only, it's really tiny, put on the goggles, showed it to the kids. They got to see themselves on the screen as it flew around the classroom. And, uh, and we had a, it was just a little, a little hook. And then we had a whole discussion about legality, about what does this mean civic wise in terms of, you know, drones and privacy? Like, so you build a treehouse in your backyard and you can look over your neighbor's fence. You know, is that illegal? Well, what about flying a drone up and looking over your neighbor's fence? And, and it was really an interesting thing. And you know, we talked about the goods and the bads of that technology too and what it does for privacy. Cause there's going to be a time where I think we could look up and I mean, I have a DJI standard three that I love to fly around. But in probably five years from now, there may be, you know, cameras everywhere. The fact that this bomber guy went so far without getting caught on camera, it was kind of amazing to me because, like I said, we're installing cameras on our house and we're going to have drones flying all over. At some point, physical privacy is going to be pretty hard to find, I think. There was an article. Much less digital. Yeah. I, I read don't have it in the show notes, but it was the prediction, I think, maybe even by the FCC, is that in the next year or two, I think the number of drones is going to probably triple. It's just, it, it's going to explode. What was the name of that drone that you said he flew, the bug drone? Do you, you remember what kind of um, it was? I'll have, to get, I'll have to see if I can find it. I can tweet it. He told it to me several times because he, he does drone racing as well, which is really fun. He wants to get me to go and do that with him, which wow. is neat. We're going to set one up with some kids and do like a little drone racing league, kind of like Harry Potter-esque going through hoops and stuff like that, like a little Quidditch yeah. game. But it's it, wow. it's interesting to see how it's changed. Like my own daughter's walking down from our lake house, and I couldn't hear him on the walkie-talkie, so I flew the drone up and flew it out over the woods and found them 800, 900 feet away. And they saw me looking at them. 
So wow. I'm like that creepy dad that's like, get back. I couldn't yell at him because it doesn't talk. But yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting in their future for sure. Wow. All right. Well, we are at the top of the hour and uh, okay. we need to do some geeks of the week. So uh, what uh, what do you what do you have for, for your geek of the week? Well, uh, speaking of VR, because that's a big talk that we talked about earlier in the show. I know I put Ready Player One, which uh, have you read it? I've only seen the previews and I've and it looks great. Oh, you've got to read the book. Uh, easy read, really easy read. But um, if you're a fan of the 80s, technology, Atari, um, you know, all the things, uh, music, movies, it's all ties to that. And the, and the author, Ernest Klein, is actually based here in Austin. Um, and he did a whole documentary about uncovering the E.T. cartridges. I remember there used to be a million of these cartridges for Atari. Oh, yeah. And they were in some trash dump somewhere in New Mexico. And he did a documentary about trying to uncover where these were because that game was so bad that Atari had to dump them in a garbage heap somewhere. Um, I think I actually did try to play that. And it was like, what's, I, what's, what's the point? It's so hard to play. <laughs> so anyway, the, the movie is interesting because it's two worlds. It's a physical world, which is based out of Oklahoma City, as of, of all places, um, is where the main character is based. I think in the movie, they're going to make it Columbus, Ohio, which is uh, going to be a little bit of a poetic license. But in the movie, he's based at Oklahoma City. And essentially, all the towns now have become these stacks where they take RVs and stack them on top of each other. Um, and, and it's just, there's a lot of, you know, there's no, there's no real work all the economy runs in this virtual world. So you talk about Facebook and all the money that's in, right? So th- this guy's invented this world. He's very much a Steve Jobs type character and he dies. And when he dies, he leaves these Easter eggs and says, if you can uncover all the Easter eggs, you can own the world. It's called the Oasis. And so essentially the, the whole movie or the book plays out that there's this one character is a poor kid from Oklahoma city who basically goes and he ends up, he knows so much about it because he doesn't, all he has is time. So he discovers all these little Easter eggs and, at some point, you have to like play a role of a character in a movie. I don't know if I'll do this in the movie, but in the book, you had to be Ferris Bueller and Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and you get points based on how well you deliver your lines. You remember we were talking earlier about being in the VR movie itself. Um, so there's a lot of cool. I'm gonna, I'm excited to see what the futuristic stuff that they're gonna showcase. But you know, you can be anybody you want to be, and that's the amazing thing about that world. And then financially, of course, there's money that that takes place in this virtual world, kind of like remember Second Life oh, yeah. uh, a long time ago, <laughs> only bigger. Yeah, and, so that's my and it comes week. out next week. Is that correct? The 28th, yeah, I think, or the 29th is full launch. I think a bunch of us are going the night of the 28th, uh, 10 o'clock, which is crazy, but we're going to go late at night and watch it, the debut, so it'll be fun. Awesome. All right, and mine is just a, a quick little video. It's a ad actually uh, by Cadillac, but a 30-second ad called uh, Future Cars, but we've got uh, Kit, we've got the Jetsons, uh, we've got Back to the Future, all these, you know, fun um, movies and then they're talking about, you know, their self-driving capabilities that are in there. So I thought that that'd be sometimes I like for those kind of videos to throw in a presentation or something like that. You know, oh. it definitely helps people connect to the few, the projections of the future, which we've had, uh, that we've been exposed to, you know, and then how those kinds of things predicted by science fiction are, are becoming true today. So pretty, pretty fun. And it's got a good soundtrack too. It does. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, Carl, where can people connect with you if they want to continue the learning and and the dialogue with you? Yeah. So a few things. Uh, Twitter is the best place to get me at Mr. Hooker. And uh, I've got a series of books out, six books, mobile learning mindsets that are all launched now, finally, as of last June. I've just started putting courses out on participate.com, including one for mobile learning. I'm doing a parent course coming up pretty soon. And I got about three others that I'm supposed to be done before ISTE. So we'll see if I can get that done in time. But I really like the participate platform. I don't know if you've played with it at all, but it's, it's device agnostic. It's very easy to use on any, on anything. And, um, uh, it's, it's kind of been a neat way to kind of Monica Burns is the one who showed me it. And then Tom Murray and a few other folks. So I'm starting to put some stuff out on there and 
and see how it goes. I like it because it's a lot more dynamic than a book in a lot of ways. So, uh, mm, cool. yeah, so I'm trying that. So, but yeah, Mr. Oker at Twitter, I'm, I share a lot of stuff freely. I give a lot of stuff away. I, I do sell some things, but I don't make anything on them because we're educators and we're silly that way. But well, yeah. And what I've learned a long time ago is, you know, a lot of times those are, if those are on trades to gigs, if you have a chance to go to a presentation, you know, many yeah, times sure. you can, you know, be compensated from a presentation far more than, you know, selling a stack of books, but it helps people know what you're an expert on and, you know, your advocacy platform and, and that kind of yep. thing. So and so. poetry next. So be careful. Watch out for the, and I think we're also doing an ed tech lip sync battle. Uh, Brianna Hodges and I at, at uh, ISTE. And I will just tell you, that'll be something to see if you can make it to that. If you're making it ISTE and you can go to our event and it's free, it's, it's during ISTE. It's a, one of the sessions. I think it's in the afternoon on Tuesday. If you um, can link to those, if you can drop those in the show notes, I'll, yeah, I will. For people. I think it's going to be recorded too. I just found out, which is going to be really embarrassing because I'm going to be trying to sing and dance on stage, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> that awesome. drama. Talked about it with your daughter. You got to have that drama. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, I am W Fryer on Twitter, uh, posting at speedofcreativity.org periodically. Um, I don't, I've been working on a digital citizenship website for school. That's digsit.us where we've got a series of videos with short questions and hopefully uh, before the end of this year and then moving into the summer next year, we'll take that to the next level with students creating some of these short narrative slideshows to talk about current issues like some of the stuff we've talked about today with regard to, you know, Twitter and Facebook logins to accounts and Google um, there's all kinds of, of things, but anyway, digital citizenship is definitely a, an advocacy area, uh, and a passion that Carl and I share and important sure. to continue those conversations. So we want to thank everybody for tuning in. Thank you, Carl, so much for taking an hour thank out you of your week. Are, are you on spring break or, or not? No, no, we're done. We're back. We're back on. So, but happy to be back at work some, in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time and we will hopefully get to check in with you again later on the show down the road. Thank you, Wes. Thanks for having me.